Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Women in Compliance podcast hosted by Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. I'm Mary Shirley, and today I'm pleased to have Fabiana Lasalka-Allen, who is the SVP of Compliance at Immune Therapeutics. Fabiana, welcome. Please tell us about your background and how you got to your current role. Thank you, Mary. Good morning and good afternoon to everybody else listening from somewhere else. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's always good to talk to you, um, mm. and it's always good to talk to a fellow top mind. Um, so... <laughs> I started in compliance long, long time ago. Um, I think my first compliance lesson, Mary, I got in Argentina a long time ago. That's where I grew up. I grew up in Argentina during the military dictatorship. Mm-hmm. And my father, together with many others, were part of the first democratic government of President mm-hmm. Alfonsín after the dictatorship. Mm-hmm. So during those years, uh, when I was around six years old, we had the first attempted kidnapping uh, because obviously my father was opposing the dictatorship. Mm. And I remember going to him and asking him, um, Daddy, I don't want you to die. I don't want to die. I was hoping that he would say, oh, don't worry, Fabiana, nobody's going to die. But instead, mm-hmm. he gave me my first compliance lesson, mm-hmm. which I didn't know at the time, of course. But he sat me down and he said, oh, Fabiana, we're all going to die, so don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. Worry about what you're going to live for because there are some things worth dying for, mm-hmm. but for everything else, you need a plan. Mm-hmm. So he was giving me basically the basics of compliance, minimize right. risk, mm-hmm. things that you can impact, do that, and about the others, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. So that's when um, I went to school, Mary, And they were asking, you know, what do you want to be when you're an adult? And I remember one of my friends said she wanted to be a tree, so she didn't want to have to talk to anybody. And when the (laughs) teacher gets to me, um, I say, a queen. And she said, a queen, why? I said, well, you know, I'm going to put the bad people in jail, the good people. I had a a plan given the circumstances Mm -hmm. we were living in. And she says, well, you cannot be a queen. What else do you want to be? And I said, a lawyer for the same reasons. So now my team gave me a t-shirt that says compliance only second to being the queen, but (laughs) truly (laughs) that's that's where my calling um, started Mm -hmm. about making a difference and about doing what's Mm -hmm. right and what, you know, minimizing risk. Great story to start off with. And so tell us a little bit more about um, your compliance journey. So after um, you decided that you wanted to be a lawyer and you got started. What was your path? So I became a lawyer. Um, then I came to the United States uh, to attend UCLA to do an LLM. Then I wrote my thesis on international environmental law. Then I started working in a law firm and went in-house. And my first few roles were strictly legal. But then the OIG guidelines came out, and now I'm dating myself, and I've been doing compliance for so long, Mary. But um, my supervisor at the time said, these new OIG guidelines came out. Who wants to do something about it? And 
my mom had taught me that anytime you want to learn something, put your hand up. And that was one of those moments. I said, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. I'll look mm-hmm. into it and I'll, you know, put something together. And I mm-hmm. all of a sudden became the expert, you know, the OIG yeah. guidelines <laughs> expert. Yeah. Um, so at that time, I was doing legal and compliance roles, um, which was very typical at the time. It was the very, very beginning of compliance. Although compliance mm-hmm. has to do more about leadership and ethics and integrity and putting together common sense programs that are sustainable in the future and that are inclusive and, and, and include more than just the U.S. perspective, this was the very beginning of that journey. And that's mm. how I started. And then slowly, as you know, the companies that I were w- working for were either under a CIA, Corporate Integrity Agreement, or at the Fair Prosecution Agreement, or a Consent Decree, which generally ask for a division between legal and compliance, that's when I started just doing compliance roles. Mm, you know, I love what you said there um, about the, the volunteering to put your hand up. And what I've realized is whenever there's something new, no one is the expert, right? But as soon as you put your hand up and you are the one that's doing research within your company and you're starting to make views or, uh, and talk to other people uh, at different companies who have got the, the same task of finding out about this new area, suddenly you are the expert and you are the go-to person. So if you're looking for something that you can really excel at, keep an eye out for the new things that come along. GDPR is a a great recent example. And then turn yourself into the subject matter expert and the go-to person. And suddenly you add a great deal of value uh, to yourself within the company. Absolutely, Mary. That's great advice. And I, uh, I believe in it because that's the number one, it's the only way to learn. But mm-hmm. it's also the only world, you know, to keep adapting to a changing world. And, right. you know, curiosity, <laughs> intelligence are important. Work ethics is very important. Mm-hmm. But also taking the time to learn is mm-hmm. fundamental because the world is evolving so rapidly a- a- around us. Mm. Mm. Totally agree. You've also mentioned um, working for companies that um, have had some some interesting compliance challenges under corporate integrity agreements and so on. And, you know, you, you mentioned um, dating yourself, but really when I look at your type of resume and I think, good grief, like this woman has... Um, so many super senior roles um, in pharmaceuticals. I, I want to be just like you when I grow up and just have loads of, of really great experience behind me. Um, but tell me uh, about some of the key risks that companies have in the world of, of pharma. You know, it's such a heavily regulated industry. Mm-hmm. And we deal with patients, with with populations that are at risk mm-hmm. by definition, that are mm-hmm. suffering, that are in need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we all have to take not only the extra care about caring for our patients and making a difference, a positive inf- difference in their lives, but in many cases we're dealing with, with kids, with adults that are suffering. So, you know, the human part is very important and the regulations are, are there for a reason. And so, mm-hmm. you know, bringing it all together, I think it's what's really important. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's... And what's it's that? an industry that you can easily... Uh, sorry. Uh, it's, a, no, it's it. an industry where you can easily see <clears throat> how you're making a difference. Yeah, 
I, I think that's right. Um, we're in related industries uh, with, with me and healthcare. And of course, the um, patient care is, is such a key priority. But what I also find when you work in companies like ours is that, you know, no matter what the benefits of your particular job or the company may be from a, a human resourcing standpoint, there is such a great deal of fulfillment and satisfaction in terms of knowing that you're um, perhaps indirectly a lot of the time for compliance, but still hugely uh, involved in is, is uh, helping fellow human beings and adding to the quality of life of others. So that's, that's a real big part for me in, in terms of the importance of the role that we have in these types of companies. I'm wondering if you could share a little more in terms of, um, uh, so for example, in healthcare, um, we have, have certain risks that are key for us. Um, so in the United States, some of our big ones would be um, reimbursement integrity, anti-kickback uh, type issues, false claims issues, um, those are sort of perennially big ones for us. Does it look similar in pharma or do you have other areas of focus? You know, it looks very similar. Um, I think that it has to do more with leadership in compliance that specific mm -hmm. industry you're in. You know, there are, of course, some things that are very specific to, to mm -hmm. whatever industry you're in, but there is, mm -hmm. the majority of them have to do with what kind of leader you are what kind of tone at the top you have, what kind of, uh, of conduct you and your employees have, what kind of culture you have. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we deal with everything in the, in the pharma world, from clinical trials to mm -hmm. FDA to mm -hmm. you name it, we have it. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't think that that's very different in other industries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of a lot of the what I find that the key risks are in the healthcare space in terms of things, you know, as you say, like clinical research uh type areas, essentially a lot of them come back to improper inducement, which is what we see in in most industries in terms of uh, a key risk factor in the compliance program. And of course, I, I talked a little bit about uh, just before the American risks. Um <laughs> even though I'm foreign, I shouldn't um forget about the the, the international scope as well, the, the so-called rest of world. Um, uh, we have um, FCPA is, is a big one um, out there for us as well. So interesting. Um, seems like there's a lot of overlap is what I'm, I'm hearing from you. Absolutely. I think, you know, it all boils down to integrity. It all boils down to tone at the top mm -hmm. and to the culture mm -hmm. of an organization. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And so um, changing gears a little bit, will you tell us about a compliance project that you've been innovating on this year and that you would recommend other companies consider doing? This year is so unprecedented and so different from anything else that <laughs> anybody could have ambition. If three right. months ago you would have told me that anything mm -hmm. like this was going to happening, mm -hmm. I would have said, you're drinking too much or whatever mm -hmm. you're taking mm -hmm. is not good for you. <laughs> uh, and so I think that we all learn from this experience that the most important thing that we should all be working on is on our enterprise risk management, on our mm -hmm. risk assessment, on our mm -hmm. crisis plan, on mm -hmm. um, how you're going to address situations that are totally out of the norm and totally mm -hmm. unprecedented. I think mm -hmm. that that, to me, is the most important thing I've been working on this year and that mm -hmm. 
for sure is going to help me in years to come. Hopefully not in a situation like this one, but any situation that is somewhat unprecedented and somewhat unexpected can mm. have these type of effects, not only on your mm. employees, but on your patients, on your communities, your families, your employees. Mm. And so have you found that um, you've had to adjust your um, crisis response plan in, in light of what's happened and, and make adjustments to take into account these new circumstances? Absolutely. Everybody mm. had to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because no matter what, we could not expect this. It was, mm. um, you know, we lived something similar maybe 10 years ago, 13 years ago with the avian flu mm-hmm. threat, but it was not even close to what we are seeing today. Mm. The type of crisis is different. Crises we all have been through. And there are some uh, that are not as unprecedented as this one and some that don't have the impact that this one. I have never mm-hmm. seen one this right. kind. Right. Yeah. Hopefully once in a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and you, we talked about your uh, considerable leadership experience. Will you share with us what your leadership philosophy is? Oh, absolutely, Mary. I love that question because mm-hmm. I think that no matter how good your compliance program is yes and, and by now we all should have really robust compliance right. programs in place We've done mm-hmm. it for long enough that you know it's how you execute it's who you have mm-hmm. it's are you having the right people in the right place having the right conversation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i think that the biggest strength of any compliance program has to do on who are your leaders and mm-hmm. and to me um you know a few years back um and this was published by The Guardian, I was talking to somebody about um, basically what are the leadership characteristics? How do you choose the people you work with? And I Mm -hmm. said, I look at them and think, would I be kidnapped with them? (laughs) And that that became such an interesting phrase because it was published a few times and people had a lot of discussion with it. And I I always explained that that was my experience. And so my experience growing up was, who do I want around me? If I'm Mm -hmm. in a desperate place, if I'm in a crisis, if I'm in a difficult situation, who do I want with me? And um, by that time, I also was in a school that was teaching us literature. And we were talking about the poem from Rudyard Kipling, If You Can Keep Your Head When All About You Are Losing Theirs. And mm-hmm. I figure out that that's one of the great characteristics of a leader, mm-hmm. at least somebody that I would want around me. Mm-hmm. So my leadership philosophies always have people around me with strong emotional intelligence that mm-hmm. can keep calm in a crisis, that mm-hmm. can think strategically, mm-hmm. that are charismatic and can take individual decisions but consider the team, that are loyal, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that are trustworthy, mm-hmm. that are... Um, high integrity, and Mm -hmm. that more importantly, have the courage to do what's right, Mm. which is not always the easiest path. Mm. And so I try to lead by example, and I try to be a leader that I admire and respect with those characteristics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And these are the people that I like uh, working with me. And by the way, Mary, for the record, I would definitely be kidnapped with you. I hope we're never in a crisis <laughs> like that. 
<laughs> it's so but funny. I know you and I would make a great team because I think that's we right. Have the, we have the same leadership style. We have the same mm-hmm. high values characteristics, and we definitely have the courage to make a difference. I, I agree. And I think if we can, you know, I, from what I can recall, I think you've had three attempts made um, to kidnap you um, from your youth, if, if I remember correctly. So for those who, who may not be able to relate so much to that analogy, I think we can adapt that to topical times and say, who would you be willing to be in a coronavirus lockdown with um, to, <laughs> <laughs> to, to relate? I love it. Yes, exactly, Barry. It applies to any, any crisis situation. Who do yeah. you want to go to, you know, to any tough situation with? Who do yes. you want around it? Yes. And, and I think that if we do that right, mm-hmm we are better off. No matter mm. how good your compliance plan is, no mm. matter how good your risk plan is, no matter mm. how good your enterprise risk you know, plan is, mm. is how you execute it and who do you execute it with. Mm. And so who is your team is vital. Mm. So I have to say also for the record, I work with some of the most amazing compliance professionals I've ever worked with. There are uh, definitely few people in my team I would go anywhere with, mm. and we would be great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And, um, you know, speaking on that topic of surrounding ourselves with, with people, you've been recognized for contributing a lot to your community as a mentor. How do you best foster your mentorship relationships to ensure that the benefits are maximized for both parties? You know, um, it also has to do about my values. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was a little girl, I was taught by my father a few things that, and my mother, of course, but the the conversation I had with my father at the time, I would never forget. Don't ask of anybody something that you're unwilling to do yourself. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Don't ever abuse your power. Mm Mm-hmm. And always do what's right, no matter what, even if mm-hmm. you have to stand alone. Mm-hmm. And so in the, in, when I mentor, you know, people that are up and coming, I usually tell them they're worrying about the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I wish somebody would have told me that at the time, mm-hmm. so especially, you know, minorities and females, if they are where they are, it's because they earned it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's giving you anything for free. So mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about that. You mm-hmm. have to worry about how you make a difference mm-hmm. and you have to worry about how you can be the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you're focusing on that, the rest is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so very, uh, I believe very strongly in giving back, mm-hmm. in Me lending too. a hand, yes. in, in, yeah. in, in, in making a difference. Because mm-hmm. otherwise you're wasting this time in your earth. You're wasting your mm-hmm. talents. You're wasting an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I tell people that I mentor that it's a two-way relationship. Mm. It's not proper to call me, you know, three years and going, oh, you know, can you provide me a recommendation? Mm-hmm. That's not how you do it. Mm-hmm. People that you identified as part of your tribe, as part of your village, as people mm-hmm. that you want to, you, to surround yourself with, mm-hmm. you stay in contact with. You yes. develop a relationship, a two-way relationship. You mm-hmm. see you, how you can help. Mm-hmm. See, any of the people that I mentor have helped me tremendously. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I have helped them. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you as well. I think um, perhaps when I was was younger and started out thinking, oh gosh, it's really important to get a, a mentor. It, I think it's traditionally viewed as being a one-way street, but as time progressed, I realized, hang on a second, there's, and I, and I became a mentor myself. I realized there's actually a lot that I can learn, um, which is why I'm a big fan of, of reverse mentorship, um, which I talk about in um, my, my previous podcast with um, Monica Lopez Rainmiller. Um, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it's it's not appropriate to just expect the mentor as being someone that owes you when you need help. Um, you've got to to earn that and improve yourself as well if you're in the position of the mentee. Absolutely. And, you know, you have to be respectful of people's times. You have totally. to be prepared and organized. And you have to mm-hmm. be willing to grow personally and professionally because yes. otherwise it's a waste of time and nobody wants their time wasted. And Mary, that's why you're mm. such a great mentor because you're such a great leader. And, mm. uh, and it's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a key point that you make about the, the being prepared and also taking the mentor's advice seriously, right? So if they say to you, you know, I'd like you to consider before our next meeting, um, whatever it may be, um, writing out um, a goal for, for yourself for um, the next six to 12 months, that the person take that seriously and realize that there's got to be work done on both sides. It's not the mentor giving you all of their worldly advice and everything that I've learned in the last 20 years and, and making it easy for you to just absorb that uh, in a half hour session. Um, there, there is work to be done as well in the mentoring relationship. Yeah. Absolutely. So we touched a little earlier um, about the the fact that when you were uh, a child growing up in Argentina, that your father's job made you a target for kidnapping. Um, And if I'm correct, there were three attempts made to capture you. As a woman, what are some of the techniques that you deploy to this day to look out for your physical safety when out at night yourself or traveling alone, which for me is a pretty big thing in compliance. Um, we travel a lot and it's not like you bring your BFF along um, to a, an investigation on the other side of the world every time you need to travel. So we often, in my opinion, or at least in my experience, find ourselves traveling for work alone. Uh, what are your tips? Mary, I think that the most important thing is follow your instinct. Mm-hmm. We all have it, our ancestors have it, but the society the fast pace and and where we are all living in these days, Mm -hmm. not everybody listens to it attentively. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's your biggest and best ally. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine, Donna Kinsey and myself wrote an article. I think that it's a a very good one. It's survival mindset, 10 Mm -hmm. things that could save your um, lives. Mm -hmm. And I think it's all about, um, and and I'll be happy to send you that. Yeah, please do. it's it's good for all of us as a reminder. To me, there's mm-hmm. no coincidences. Mm-hmm. I always say, if you think you're that good looking, think twice. <laughs> what I mean about that, <laughs> you know, especially in certain parts of the world, you know, the people that are going to harm you are extremely good looking, extremely well behaved, extremely mm-hmm. adept. The They're Ted Bundy's of the world. Act. Correct. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the you have to be alert. If somebody mm-hmm. falls in love with you immediately, that's a red flag right there. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say, if you think you're that good looking, think twice. Because mm-hmm. 
you have to be more suspicious. You have mm-hmm. to be alert. You have to follow your instinct. If something mm-hmm. doesn't seem right, it's not right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't travel around the world to make new friends. Mm-hmm. That's not wise. You know, make new friends where you are safe, where you know where you're going, where you know where things are, where you understand the language, where you understand the cue. Because, mm-hmm. you know, for me, if I see something off in Argentina, I would recognize it mm-hmm. immediately because mm-hmm. I know what's off and what's mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was actually a study, and I um, I read it a few years back. It made total sense. You know, if you have two soldiers trained the same way, mm-hmm. uh, with, with the same techniques and everything, mm-hmm. one of them saved himself and said stuff like, you know, the silence was too eerie. Something mm-hmm. was off. Mm-hmm. it's intuition they cannot mm-hmm. explain exactly what happened mm-hmm. but something alerted them and they're paying attention mm-hmm. and then you have you know women that are attacked and you ask them and they said yeah I felt weird but you know I did not want to sound crazy or I didn't want to be rude or I didn't mm-hmm. want to you know and so they're not listening to their intuition mm-hmm. they're actually acting against it. Mm-hmm. So I think that the best thing that we can all do is be alert. Mm-hmm. Always. Mm-hmm. Because nobody can yeah. take better care of yourself than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Period. Nobody mm-hmm. wants you more alive than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, you know, you need to take care of yourself. So when I travel, I am uh, boring as hell, Mary. I don't go out. <laughs> you know, I don't put myself in places where I'm not familiar with. Mm-hmm. That's the place to order in your hotel room, get a great bath, read the best book. Mm-hmm. Always follow your instinct. Always be alert. And remember that there's no coincidences. If you see somebody twice, they're following you probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. And I'm very similar. Um, I would say I'm very boring at nighttime. I do go out a fair bit during the day and it will always take up colleagues um, in another country that offer to show me around. There are some places that I feel having, like you, lived in different places of the world now that I consider are well known to me and I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in them. Um, but if it's places that are not uh, familiar, then um, I will be doing the bubble bath, the book, um, Netflix or whatever uh, at night and um, relying on people that I trust uh, to take me into to different areas um, if it's not a traditionally um, safe place to be. And I just have one sort of granular, um, quite specific tip for travellers. Um, if you're in a, a hotel um, and in an elevator, there is nothing wrong with asking others what what floor um, they're on and, and push it before you enter your own um, to, to help prevent um, if you have suspicions of someone that's going to follow you afterwards, um, press all the buttons and, and don't get out if you don't want to. If you're feeling 
um, nervous or worried, uh, stay in the elevator, go back down to a public floor and ask a member of the staff to escort you to your room um, if, if you're feeling very uncomfortable. Because I think, as you say, Fabiana, if you're feeling uncomfortable, that's probably not to do with the food that you ate earlier that day. It's probably because something's up and you're registering it, your brain has registered it, your tummy has registered it in terms of the intuition side of things and you need to address it. And even if you feel like a fool for going back down in the elevator, um, better paranoid than dead. Oh, no question. And, you know, anybody that has the right intent would understand Mm -hmm. it and applaud it. And if they don't, they don't matter. And so who cares? Because, again, you need to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. and nobody can do a better job than you. Mm Mm-hmm. And those mm-hmm. are questions that you ask yourself afterwards, not at the moment. You walk out mm-hmm. of that elevator. It's not worth mm-hmm. it. It is mm-hmm. absolutely not worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so moving from um, the topic of physical care and more to our, our well-being side of care, um, I think it's particularly important in these times to be um, indulging in self-care. So I wanted to ask you, what does the term self-care mean to you and how do you make sure that you get it even if we're in very fraught times or time is tight? How are you looking after yourself? You know, self-care is self-love, is taking care of what's important to you. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that you don't care about the people you love because mm-hmm. you do. I think that by taking care of you, you take care of the people you love. Absolutely. Loving you that you can do the best version of you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I do different things, different times. You know, twice a week, I do 15, 20 minutes of meditation and light yoga with my mm-hmm. team. We mm-hmm. stay connected that day. That way, uh, we count our blessings. We mm-hmm. are thankful for all our blessings and opportunities, and we connect with each other. Mm-hmm. I also do that by myself. Mm-hmm. I also find time to read a book, to do things that are important to me, mm-hmm. to drink a good glass of wine, mm-hmm. to go see a sunset, to go mm-hmm. for a walk, mm-hmm. to, to take time to do what's important to me. And that changes, you know, depending on the circumstances, depending on where we are. Yes. Right now that we are all in, uh, you know, shelter at home times and we mm. don't know how long this is going to be. Mm. It's been a great opportunity to take a few minutes for yourself every day, no matter mm-hmm. who's around you. Mm-hmm. And it's sending the right message. Loving yourself is telling others that you love them deeply because you want to be the best you can be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's fantastic. Well, thank you for, for sharing that, Fabiana. It's been wonderful having you on the show today. And I'm just going to wrap up with a quick point about incentives. So um, we know that the Department of Justice has said that compliance programs need carrots as much as sticks. And if you're interested in any uh, reading on this, um, some of the best reading that I've seen on the incentives uh, topic for compliance programs um, is in Tom Fox's writing. So look it up if you're interested. Um, So I wanted to share some research regarding interesting complications of awards in a school setting that could very well translate to the workplace for us in our compliance programs. So in the Harvard Business Review recently, they shared information about a field experiment with over 15,000 students who had perfect attendance in a previous period during the autumn or, uh, as we would say in America, uh, fall. 
Um, the students got split into three groups in January. Um, so the first group received a letter saying that um, they would receive an award if they missed no days of school in February. The second group received a letter uh, advising of an award earlier earned due to perfect attendance previously. So that's a retrospective award. And then the third group was a control group. So when the attendance records for February um, were scrutinised, they showed that students in group one, uh, so the prospectively earning an award group, um, that had the same uh, absentee records as students in the control group. And more interestingly, students in the retrospective group missed 8% more days of school than everyone else. The explanation identified by researchers is that the awards may have inadvertently indicated that the desired behaviour, in this case that of perfect attendance, was neither the norm or really expected. So this may be a good time to reflect on not whether or not you should continue with compliance incentives, but more specifically on how you're couching um, that awards program um, to your colleagues. Just a little something to think about. Fabiana, thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure having you on the show. I really enjoyed catching up with you. Thank you, Mary. The same uh, for me. It's always a pleasure to talk to uh, an incredible leader in the compliance yeah. world. Thanks so again kind. for the time, Mary. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.